This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. My name's Owen, and I just want to welcome you from myself uh, to Seven this morning. It's so great to have you with us. I'm one of the co-lead pastors, uh, married to Claire, and uh, yeah, we're just going to talk now for about half an hour, and um, uh, at the end of it, uh, Ellie and Jake are going to come and join me as well, uh, because this Sunday... We are focusing on the start of COP26, which, I don't know about you, but it's holding out a lot of hope for us as a society. And uh, I think there's a massive amount of excitement about it, of course, but here being in the UK, there's a big focus for us as a nation. But before we start talking about that, I just wanted to address um, our talk series that we're doing on questioning our assumptions. I'm absolutely thrilled that so many of us are talking about this, because that's the whole point. The whole point was to get us talking about what our assumptions are about faith and about God and about our relationship with God because what we passionately believe is is that when we start to engage with this, when we engage with our questions, when we engage with our doubts, we talk more, we exchange more, we engage with each other and with God more. And uh, so thank you so much for those of you that have been giving us feedback on it and talking to us and asking questions as well. There is a mobile phone number that you can text your questions to, which will burn or put on the screen for you if you'd like to do that. Um, But uh, through conversation with some of you uh, in the last week, I just wanted to uh, mention something that I said two weeks ago in Sunday School 2.0 in that talk that I gave. Because I think that on reflection, I was a little bit more one-sided than I intended to be. I described how modern scholars think that the first five books of the Bible were written after 539 BC, uh, which of course has some consequences for some of those stories that we read about in the Genesis accounts. But on reflection, I just want to say that on reflection, I think that I could have been more balanced and sensitive in the way that I spoke about that, and uh, perhaps have presented a spectrum of scholarly opinion on the creation and the flood accounts. So I just want to apologise if I've caused any upset to anyone with my clumsy approach to that. But thank you so much for talking to me about it and engaging with me on it. What I want to also explain is that this series, it is by its very nature challenging, unsettling, and, and, and actually disturbing in some ways as well. And as, if you haven't listened to Dan Green's talk last Sunday, then do have a listen to that one because... What we wanted to do in that talk was just talk about the ways in which there are, if you like, different stages to our faith, both in terms of our whole life, but also in terms of individual beliefs and actual what we engage with in terms of the Bible. And what Dan explained was that he took an example from Brian McLaren, but many others have also talked about these stages of faith. This example was where we move from simplicity to complexity to perplexity, and we have finally found harmony. Now our goal with this series is to encourage us to question our assumptions, but our goal is not to deconstruct our faith so we have nothing left, quite the opposite. Actually what we find is that as we move through the whole process of wrestling with our faith and looking to the Bible to see how we, what we understand about our faith, what happens is we, we deepen our hope and we enrich our faith. I'm reminded of Paul's words in uh, Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And that is a hope that does not disappoint, particularly when the waves of life's challenges hit us from time to time. So if you're finding this series unsettling and challenging, I just want to encourage you to persevere to persevere with it. 
because we believe that will lead to a greater sense of faith, hope and love that will enable us to stand the rigours of life. Now, just by way of um, opening up the opportunity to have conversation, in 10 days' time, on Thursday the 11th of November at 8 o'clock, I'm going to host a Zoom chat where you're welcome to join me and anyone else that has got questions or wants to talk more about what we've been talking about through this series. So that's on Thursday the 11th of November on Zoom at 8 p.m. And if you want that Zoom link, just look at our e-bulletin. Sign up to our e-bulletin on our website and we'd be delighted to have you there. Okay, so today we want to uh, get back to our box set um, and we are going to be talking about it with reference to COP26. And at the end, Jake Gazard and Ellie Jones are going to come and share some of their stories about their passion and what they're doing uh, with regards to how we can reverse climate change. Now, I had two epiphanies uh, when I was at university. Uh, first time, I got two undergraduate degrees, but my first one was in geography. I was a geography undergraduate in Plymouth. And I was reading geography, and my first epiphany was back in 1991 to 94, was that we've got a problem with the world. The way we're living is not sustainable. And that was a massive moment for me, because I was 18 years old. And actually, for me, that, this, was, this was a shock. Um, and, uh, and being a geography undergraduate, I was learning all about how that was actually impacting, our, how, how our lifestyles were impacting on the world. The, the other epiphany, which actually more important to me at the time, was that um, I had, I'd actually grown up in the church. I'd grown up in the Methodist church. Parents had dragged me along to church. I checked out when I was a teenager, to be honest. But when I got to university, I met people my own age who actually had a real passionate faith in Jesus. And I'd never met anyone like that before. And that really changed my whole life. And uh, I put Jesus at the center of my life. I, I encountered Jesus in a very profound deeply spiritual way and that was that was just the thing that really shaped my life going forward and if you're a university student just know how this time of your life is such an important time for shaping what you're going to do with the rest of your life um, not just in terms of your studies but also in terms of your faith so um, I had these two epiphanies one about uh, which was all about Jesus and one was all about how we as human beings are really trashing the planet and at the time, um, there was the Rio Earth Summit back in 1992. Some of you may have remembered that. And actually, the first of the COP meetings occurred a year later in 93. There's been 25 since. We've got the 26th one starting today. And the strange thing about these two epiphanies was that I heard very little about our stewardship of the planet in the church that I was part of. It was a fringe issue. And in fact, all of the Christian conferences I used to go to, it would be a seminar on the fringe of the conference rather than someone speaking about it on the main stage. It was always a fringe issue. And uh, even now, perhaps with the exception of Greenbelt, the, uh, the Christian festival, um, uh, you probably won't hear this spoken about very much. It may be a conference, where, uh, sorry, it may be a seminar on the fringe of a conference. Now, of course, it's easy for me and you to point at the fingers of conference organisers and go, why haven't you sorted this out? I've actually helped organise conferences and we haven't put it on the main stage. We've just put it on the fringe event. So it's easy for me to, uh, to kind of point the finger. But what about me? Why don't I turn that finger around and look at me? Well, I actually decided to do a few scratch calculations on a website called myclimate.org. And uh, it came up with some rather shocking personal statistics. Since I was a, an undergraduate, let's just rewind, I think 28, 29 years ago, okay, um, I have owned 12 cars. Um, I have driven approximately 360,000 miles and I've emitted 163 tonnes of CO2. 
Um, I've heated my home with a gas boiler for 29 years, and I've emitted 87 tonnes of CO2. I've flown 93,000 miles and emitted 25 tonnes of CO2 into the atmosphere. So I've just taken those three um, examples there. Obviously, there are other ways in which I've emitted CO2 with my lifestyle. Um, but not counting the CO2 emitted by electricity use, food and drink, material goods, the house I live in, and other sources, I've emitted in 29 years 275 tonnes of CO2 into the atmosphere. Now, myclimate.org, um, and uh, I've tried to choose a website which I think is reliable. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff out there, isn't there? Have a look at this one yourself, see if you think it's reliable. But the, the myclimate.org website informs me that in order to stop climate change, in order to just stop the Earth getting warmer and having all the impact um, on, on the ecosystems of the world, in order to stop it, the maximum amount of CO2 that can be generated by a single person in a year is 0.6 tonnes of carbon dioxide. Over the 29 years since I was a student at university, that's 17 tonnes. That's, that's all I could allow myself to emit if I was going to stop the climate changing. So in terms of driving, flying and just heating my home, I've emitted 16 times more CO2 than is required to stop climate change. Now, of course, this is a blunt measurement. And if I added in, say, Clara and my kids, our kids, our youngest daughter is 14. And so that would give me another 33 tonnes allowance. But that's still six times more CO2 emitted than is required to stop climate change. And I don't know about you, but I was a bit shocked by that. I was, I was quite shocked by that. Now, maybe it's wrong. It may be, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm fairly confident in the website I looked at. So what about you guys? Where, where would you rate on that? How much CO2 would you emit? How much have we contributed to climate change already in our lives? I don't know about you, but for me, uh, the anxiety around this is quite overwhelming. It's like, what do I do about this? I mean, really, literally, do I stop driving cars? Do I stop eating? I don't know, what do I do? It's, it can be quite overwhelming. And uh, um, as part of our question our assumptions box set, what I really want to do is just push this issue just to one side and say, you know, I may be, I'm, what, I'm a 48, maybe I've got another 30 years, 40 years of life, I can just forget about it for a bit. But the question I want to ask today from the Bible is, do we have the right to do that? Does God want us to do that? If we are centering our lives on Jesus, is Jesus bothered about climate change? And that's the question we want to ask today. So, turn with me to Genesis, if you will, if you've got a Bible. Um, we're going to just be jumping around Genesis a little bit. And I want, to, I want to go to Genesis because I think it answers four theological questions for us. And the first question is, did, and I'm going to use the word Yahweh because that's the word that the Israelites use for, for God. Did Yahweh like planet Earth? I mean, it might seem like an obvious question, but did Yahweh like what he'd created? Well, no matter what context you interpret Genesis, the resounding answer is yes. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Did anyone see um, William uh, Shatner, um, who played uh, uh, Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, go up on Blue Origin? Recently, a 90-year-old guy, now a 90-year-old actor, he got on board Blue Origin, did the, uh, what is it, 10-minute ride up into space and came down again. And this is what he said um, when he returned from his flight. He said, I am overwhelmed, 
I'm so filled with emotion about what just happened. It's extraordinary. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that anyone that goes to space describes what they've seen, not in purely technical terms, but in emotional terms, spiritual terms. It's an emotional, spiritual experience to see the planet from outer space. And I just wonder whether God looks at the cosmos and has an emotional response. Uh, the sort of words fail me emotional response. Is this how Yahweh feels about creation? The second theological question is how did Yahweh regard humanity? Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image in our likeness. How precious is the Bible's description of humanity? It's so precious. Um, I imagine that, uh, that Yahweh looks at humanity a bit like I look at my kids. And parents, you might know what I'm talking about here. When I look at my kids, I'm filled with, well, most of the time, I'm filled with love. <laughs> I'm, I'm filled with joy. Uh, I'm filled with happiness as I gaze at them. Uh, obviously, there are times when that's not always the case. But, um, but when I do that, eventually my kids will, will, will catch me staring at them. And they'll just rip into me. Will you stop looking at me, Dad? Stop staring at me. And I'm going, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I just love you. That's how I feel about you. And of course, um, I might add that that's exactly what I say to my mum as well, and I catch her staring at me. There is a sense for us as parents that we're just in awe of what, what we've created. And I just think God looks at us in a similar way. God looks at us adoringly with such wonder and joy. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, that, that's how God looks at you. But that's what the Bible says, that's what, the, that's what Genesis says. God looks at us with joy and with love and with passion. Third theological question. Did Yahweh trust humanity? Does Yahweh trust you and me? Does God trust us? Well, Genesis speaks of Yahweh's willingness to give humans responsibility for the cosmos. Um, the rest of Genesis 1.26 says this, and I'm reading from the King James Version. Know, know that the Bible has been translated into lots of different versions um, at different times. This one was written 400 years ago. Um, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. That's why I read from the King James Version. <laughs> every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. I love it. The word dominion, actually, the reason I chose the King James Version was because of this word dominion that's in there. Now, the Bible is written in different languages, Greek being one of them. And the word dominion is translated from, actually, from a Hebrew term, I should say, not Greek's the New Testament, Hebrew is the Old Testament, from a Hebrew term, which means higher on the root of a plant. It means higher on the root of a plant. So if it's a tree, it's the branches as opposed to the roots. Does that make sense? If it's an apple tree, it's the apple as opposed to the roots or the bark, yeah, or the trunk. Well, the implication here is that human beings were created out of the same stuff as everything else. You know, scientists, we would say it was carbon, okay, and all the other chemicals that we're made out of. But we were created higher on the root. So what that means is, although we're made out of the same stuff, we actually have some responsibility for the rest of 
the cosmos. That's a remarkable thing. Isn't that a remarkable thing? You and I made out of the same stuff, the dirt of the ground, and yet God gives us responsibility for it. Absolutely incredible. Think of the, the risk that Yahweh takes. Um, those of you that, again, uh, have got kids, if you drop your kids off at school, uh, you are ceding dominion of your children to the teachers, which is a good thing because without it, chaos would reign in the classroom, right? However, if at the end of the school day, you go back to school to pick up your kids, uh, you would not tolerate it if you found them bruised, beaten, or less intelligent at the end of the school day, right? You wouldn't. You wouldn't tolerate it. Consider a car. A car is not alive, so not as precious as our dear children. And yet I suspect that if you lent your car to a friend and you gave them dominion over your car, if they gave it back to you, dented and bashed, some of you might be laughing because some of you probably had this experience. If they gave it back to you, dented and bashed and the inside you know, got chewing gum stuck in the carpet and, and what's more, there was no fuel in the tank, you wouldn't be impressed, would you? Because you ceded dominion to it and they trashed it. Similarly, dominion over the earth does not translate into neglect, destruction, or exploitation. The implication from Genesis that humans do not own the planet is reinforced in in other biblical passages like Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The biblical view, the biblical view is that Yahweh is the owner and humanity are the tenants. Anyone live in rented accommodation in the room? Yes, some of you? You know what it means to be a tenant. It's not yours, is it? You've got to look after it because you know you've got to give it back. We also see this concept described in Leviticus 25 verse 23. Speaking to the Israelites, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine, God says, and you reside in the land as foreigners and strangers. The biblical perspective on all matters environmental, I would say, is as controversial and as radical as that which drives organisations like Greenpeace and Extinction Rebellion. The Bible is radical. The Bible is radical. That we, and every generation since, and every generation that to come, are tenant generations of the cosmos in which we live. We are not the owner-occupiers. We are the tenants. We borrow this planet like we borrow a car from a friend. And if we have decency and self-respect, then we would hand it back in at least as good a condition as when we inherited it, if not better. The fourth theological question is, did Yahweh give humanity dominion simply for our consumption? Is that why God gave us dominion over the earth? Some of you will be familiar with the words of Jesus written in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That first part of that sentence is, for God so loved the world. And the Greek here is cosmos. That's what world means, cosmos in Greek. By which it means not just us human beings, but the whole of the universe. Now our culture, I think you probably agree, can be very mechanistic. 
We can regard nature in terms of what it can provide for us and how we can consume it. And if you don't agree with me, just pause for a moment and just think of all the things that you own and think about where they came from. Because this sort of thinking has led to the lifestyle that many of us in the West enjoy. Things like intensive agriculture. We don't think about that because we just enjoy the blueberries from Peru and I'm talking about myself there every morning. What's your weakness? Or do you fly halfway around the world so you can enjoy it? We don't. We just go to Aldi and we buy it, don't we? We just go to Tesco and we buy it. We don't think about where it comes from. But actually it's intensive agriculture that allows us to do this. Factory livestock farms. I mean, I don't really want to know where my meat comes from because I know it's probably not good. And that's challenging. You see, God didn't create the earth just for our consumption without any regard for biodiversity or animal welfare. I want to be honest and say, I don't think the Bible's entirely clear why Yahweh created the cosmos and the earth. But I want to say to you that I think from Genesis we can see that it has something to do with his pleasure and his enjoyment. Genesis 1.25, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And that's repeated several times in Genesis 1. I think God stood back and looked at his creation and enjoyed it. Much like an artist or an artisan will stand back and look at their creation and maybe critique it, but generally enjoy it. I've got many friends who are artists, and I have to say, I've never met an artist who creates simply to make money. I know many artists that make money from their art, but that's not the primary reason they create. They create because they can't help themselves. They just create because that's who they are. They create because of their joy in creating. And I think Yahweh is the same. Psalm 19 verse 1 to 4 says this about how the stars, the moon and the sun all speak of the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You know, the Bible's at odds with the mechanistic consumption view of the planet. The artisans and the romantics amongst you will just delight in this and resonate with this powerful image of God's love and passion for what he's created. The earth, the stars, the galaxies, all the things that we've put names to. I want to argue that I think the Bible says and reveals to us that God, Yahweh, is the most passionate environmentalist, the most passionate zoologist, the most zealous climatologist, and the most fervent astrophysicist. Brian Cox, eat your heart out. You know, it's, it, it's not just the sake, it doesn't do it just for the sake of the planet, it doesn't do it just for the creation, but it's a major part. Why else would the author of Genesis say, God looked at it and said it was good? But there is another reason. And here's the reason. Because we human beings are part of God's creation. And I think God loves us. He loves every single one of us. 
I believe God loves every single part of his creation, all of the animals, all the plants. You only have to look through your Bible, though, to see how much God cares about the, the, the vulnerable one, the oppressed one, the marginalized one, the weak one. God's heart beats and is resonant for those who are being oppressed, those who are being marginalized. He, he always champions the cause of the weak and the poor. And I think we could probably say that about the planet as well. Is God championing the planet, the ecosystems that we're destroying by our lifestyle? Yeah, I think he does. But we know that climate change always hits the poorest first. You know, those of us that have money have the ability to re reduce the impact of climate change on our own lives. The poorest don't. And, and if this climate change thing is going to hit the poorest and is hitting the poorest first and the hardest, then bet your bottom dollar God is on their side. Bet your bottom dollar that God is doing something about it. And I want to ask you a question. How instrumental do you think that Jesus Christ is to COP26 this week? How instrumental is Jesus in this? I wonder if Jesus is behind all of it. I wonder if Jesus is behind all of it, inspiring, guiding, prompting, leading, imbuing all of the people who are involved in reversing climate change. Is this not Jesus' priority? Is Jesus not in the midst of this? What does it say in Genesis? That human beings are made in the image of God. Is Jesus the one that is driving this? Is Yahweh... Is what Yahweh meant when he said, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over all the earth. You see, the, the Christian view of God is that God didn't light the blue touch paper and then leave. God didn't kind of bring everything into existence and then walk away. Quite the opposite. God is in the heart of everything that's going on on this planet and in this cosmos. So is Jesus behind this? I bet he is. What does it mean for us then? If we are centering our lives on Jesus, if we are keeping in step with Jesus, are we out of step with Jesus on this issue? Are we marching to a different tune? What are the things that we've been given dominion over and responsibility for? What is our responsibility to help reverse climate change? And I want to ask even more pertinent question. Is taking responsibility for our personal impact on the lives of other people and on the planet, is that, is that what it means, or part of what it means to be holy? Is that, is that part of what it means to worship God? Because worship and holiness is central to God's heart. So as we stand and reflect God, is my heart right with you on this? Do I need to change anything? And friends, well, I'm going to invite uh, Jake and Ellie to come and join me now. And just, they're going to just tell uh, something of their story um, about what they're passionate about and what they've been doing. So Jake and Ellie, why don't you come and join me? Yeah, give them a round of applause. Jake, do you want to just take one of these microphones you're in charge of? 
Hey? Yeah. He's doing the sound. <laughs> Don't worry, you can share that one, that's yeah. fine. Okay, Ellie, tell us about your passion for, well, all things environmental and climate change. Tell me about why you're passionate about it. Okay, um, yeah, so following on a lot from what you've said as well. Um, yeah, for me, I just believe that as a human on planet Earth, we've got a duty of care to look after it and to care for it, and not just for myself, to give myself a better life, but I do think as well for future generations and for those in the world who don't have resources at their fingertips like I do, I think we, I just think it's deeply unjust if we're not doing what we can. Um, and for me, it all goes back to um, the verse in Micah, um, 6 verse 8, which I have. Um, so in the message it says, he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair, do um, and just to your neighbour. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. So for me, if I'm using up finite resources in an irresponsible way, I just think that's just the antithesis of that verse and what we're called to do. So for me, it's quite, it's quite like a, a thing that doesn't sit well with me. And I feel like we need to do what we can in our power to ensure that we are doing live in how we're called to live when it comes to the environment. So what does it mean for you in practice in your own life? What does that look like? Um, so Chris laughs at me for the amount of recycling I do. Um, I love a recycle. Um, if stuff's already in the system, I think I can make an effort to get it reused or out of the system. So on a daily basis, it's just making lots of really annoying decisions about what to buy and how that's come to be made and what decisions I can make to, um, to find something that's better and find something that isn't so damaging just for me to consume. Um, so it, I, I personally take a lot of micro steps. I'm not doing anything massive, um, but I do believe that the more we're doing like on a daily basis throughout the day, the more mini steps we take, that actually really does add up. And it makes you feel quite powerful as well, that you do have the ability to make a change. And then I think the more we're doing on our, in our own lives, that then gives us a grounding to hold other people to account who do have the ability to make big changes, like the leaders that are meeting this week. Well, I can point my finger at them, but if I'm not doing everything I can on a daily basis throughout the day, then I don't think I've got a leg to stand on in terms of judging them. Yeah, no, I understand. So how, how can other people get involved? Um, the, the, you're leading something uh, around COP26 this week. Yeah. Tell us about so, that. Um, well, I hope everyone here, we all believe in the power of prayer. So obviously, we can't all be in Glasgow this week and up until the 12th of November. So whilst the conference is happening, um, I just really wanted to cover that in prayer from where we are in Bristol. So if you would like to pray for the outcomes, because there's some really big things that need to come out of this conference, and there's some like like core points that we can pray for here in Bristol. So if you'd like to be involved, then um, we're doing a WhatsApp group and we're assigning different people to pray for every day and just for real valuable, meaningful progress to be made in these talks so that, yeah, we have a better chance of living and our future generations have a better chance of living. Absolutely, and certainly built on that assumption that Jesus is at the heart of this, right? Mm -hmm. not, not distant in some way. Exactly, Absolutely. yeah, and, and I believe we can pray and good outcomes can come about. So hopefully yeah. that's what's going to happen. Amen. Well, uh, you can, if you text COP26 to that mobile number there, uh, then Ellie will add you to the group.
Thank you, Ellie. That's brilliant. Yeah. Jake, tell us about your passion for this. Hello, everyone. So, um, I'm a human. I live on Earth. And currently, in 80 years' time, the Earth could be completely destroyed if we carry on going this way. I don't really see it as a question of being passionate or not being passionate. This is my future, and I want to do something to save it. Yeah. That's brilliant, Jay. And now, what have you been up to? What's your passion? How do you express that? I do different bits. Um, I go to protests, which is always good fun. Um, and then I have recently put together a group of people, and we're creating something called the Youth Pledge, which will be a pledge which um, young people across the UK can take to say they're not going to support politicians who don't value climate change and don't support a green revolution. And then also been supporting a campaign called Feed Our Future, which is in the southwest to encourage plant-based meals in primary and secondary schools, because there aren't any at the moment. And also within the Labour Party, I've been pushing for more green policies. Fantastic. And what about you in your own life? Like, what, oh my what, 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 what difference are you making yourself? Um, I'm vegan, <laughs> which is good. Um, it's, it's the little things, really, like um, trying to recycle, trying to eat less meat, walking when I can and taking public transport when I can. The little changes really do add up and can make a big difference if everyone does it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how can other people get involved in what you're doing? Um, it depends on like what people want to do. Not everyone has to like glue themselves to a road to make a difference. But um, it could simply be cutting out meat for one meal each week and doing something very, very small in your own life or making sure you recycle a bit more. These little changes do really add up and make a difference and be a bit more conscious of where you get your food. Um, if you can, go to a local butcher rather than buy something that's been created in a factory farm and just yeah, the very small little changes that each individual can do. And then if you want to do a little bit more, um, you can always get involved with Extinction Rebellion and other groups who are doing a lot to push for a green revolution. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Why don't we pray together? Is that all right? Would you mind standing as well? Is that all right? Well, let's pray together. We want to ask the Holy Spirit, and guys, I'd love you to lead us in prayer as well, if that's all right. Um, I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you are doing in the midst of this. Thank you for, for initiating COP26. Thank you. We're going to stand on that. Um, we're going to stand on the fact that you've, you've initiated this. You're making this happen. People made in your image are making this happen. And uh, we all have a part to play in that. We just, we just confess that. We confess that it's hard. Like, being holy in this way is hard. And we, we ask for your help, you yeah to change, to take, um, take, take our uh, dominion seriously, take our responsibility seriously. Um, we, we know that if we're walking in step with you, that means we're going to be engaging with this. We thank you for what you're doing amongst us, Lord. Yeah, God, um, I just ask you that over the next weeks at COP26 that you can really change the heart of a lot of our world leaders who don't value a green revolution and you can encourage them to make the right decisions. Um, I do believe that there is still a future for me and everyone else on our planet and I do believe that your will and your um, love is in this but I just really hope and pray that you can guide our world leaders in making the right decisions to a better planet for all of us. Thank you. Yeah, amen. 
Yeah, Father God, we, we thank you so much for all the progress that has been made, all the prayers that you, you have answered and um, what, what has come to pass already with this. And we just pray that with this, um, the 26th meeting, that it would be as monumental as the Paris Agreement, God, and we would come out of this with some real hope and some steps that we can take as humanity. And I just pray that you would be with us all over these next couple of weeks and just challenge us all, whatever we're already doing. God, would you challenge us to do more and challenge us to look after your world. Amen.